Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. Welcome. <laughs> I apologize. I got so caught up. I uh, didn't put my mic on. Hey, my name is Dave. I'm one of your pastors, and it is a joy to be sharing from God's Word today. I'd encourage you to turn there, John chapter 10, uh, one of my favorite parts of the book of John. Uh, some very wonderful things that we're going to be looking at today. Bible that you brought with you, Bible in front of you, or Bible on your smartphone. And uh, my wife and I just celebrated 24 years of marriage this week. Uh, You can clap. That's exciting. We've surpassed all the celebrity marriages. And uh, in, so we, we learned how to kind of tease each other without really, you know, descending into chaos. And uh, so part of it is when we moved into the house that we're in, we didn't really have a yard. We had a yard-shaped collection of weeds. Some of you are familiar with this phenomenon, right? And so my wife made it kind of a personal goal and ambition to just kind of nurse this yard back to health. Uh, 10 by 10 in the back and about twice that on either side of the sidewalk in the front. And so last week I came out and, and she's done a great job. It's, it's flourishing. It's green. There's no more weeds. Uh, but, but she has obviously made it a high priority. And so when I came out and saw her with a pair of scissors trimming alongside of this like brick edging, I started giving her a rough time. And uh, we, you know, she kind of took it in good spirits. And we started to imagine a world in which she was like caring for each blade of grass individually, right? Oh, you need to be longer this week. You need to be shorter this week. And like little tiny watering cans, right? You know, taking care of every square inch of yard that there was. And we were just having a great time laughing about how ridiculous that would be, about how extravagant and how over the top. And then it hit me. That this is the kind of extravagant, over-the-top love that God has for us. And that for each and every one of us, he cares for us individually. He knows us by name. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows every struggle and problem that we're in. It is not ridiculous for God. This is the nature of his love and his care and his shepherding for us. And in our passage today, Jesus makes this wild statement. He says, I am the good shepherd. And he begins to unpack what that means for us. And that's where we're at today. John chapter 10, Jesus makes some I am statements. Uh, And we'll work our way through this passage. But remember chapter nine, Jesus had just healed a man born blind The religious leaders uh, were against Jesus. And so because he confessed that Jesus had healed him, they kicked him out of the synagogue in kind of a show of their bad leadership, of their bad shepherding. And Jesus then enters into this sermon, a series of analogies and metaphors and paints a picture of what true spiritual leadership should look like and what, what what he has come to bring. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep Follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. 
This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus again paints this beautiful picture of what he is coming to do, the kind of life, this abundant, this overflowing life that he has for us. And as we work our way through this passage, I just want to make some observations. And the first is this, this amazing statement, this I am statement. Jesus says, I am the door. I am the door. Most of the time today, we're going to be looking at kind of the sheep and shepherding metaphors that Jesus is using. But I, I don't think we can skip over this door part. Uh, because from our modern perspective, it's a challenge for us to go back into, you know, first century Judaism and in the context of the ancient Near East and, the, and what Jesus was experiencing. We have to understand what was going on and who Jesus was speaking to. But from their perspective, they're looking at all the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah and they're kind of evaluating whether Jesus is this. And in several places in the Old Testament, it points to the Messiah kind of entering through the door of heaven, right? Or hinting at uh, that kind of idea of this being kind of this connection point, the Messiah being this connection point between earth and heaven. We saw it in John chapter one. Jacob's ladder, this metaphor Jesus uses. And he says, there is this ladder, right? And it connects heaven and earth. And he, he kind of claims that he is that ladder. He is that connection point. And so this idea of a door is kind of sprinkled throughout Old Testament prophecies. And just kind of one example of even what we see in this connection between shepherding and the door is found in Psalm 23 and Psalm 24. Psalm 23 is the most well-known passage uh, or, or psalm in the Bible. And it talks about Jesus, or excuse me, the Lord being our shepherd. That's how it starts. Psalm 24, right after it, uh, concludes in this way. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? Isn't that the question John has been asking in his book, who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Jesus is saying, I am the door. What's interesting about a door is that the very existence of a door means there's another side. The very existence of a door means that there's another side and it is the way through. If there's no door, it's called a wall, right? <laughs> a barrier. It's just, there's, there's a separation between the two. And we see that all throughout the Old Testament is this separation, right? This, the holiness of God on display, him being completely other and separate, right? Sending the prophets and there's this distance. Jesus says, I am the door. Uh, my wife and I have remodeled several houses, uh, most of which I wish I would have rather not done. Um, if you're in a remodeling project of any kind, you know how that works. And I pulled the, the paneling off of the back of the closet, though, in, in one situation, and there was the most exquisite-looking door, and it was about three feet tall. 
and it had all of the original trim and it kind of had been hidden obviously, you know, for like 80 years. The house was built over 100 years ago. And there's all this old stuff that hasn't been touched. It's, it's dusty and whatever, but the door is only this big and it's totally locked. It's totally sealed, whether it's, you know, glued shut or screwed shut or whatever. And it drove me nuts, right? Why is the door only this tall? I had all sorts of questions, but the biggest question was, what's on the other side? And, and you know, gold bars are clearly always hidden on the other side of a door that you can't unlock, right? That was my theory. And, and, but if you just stop at a very basic level, a door implies a way. And part of what Jesus is saying here it, when he says, I am the door, is that there is another side and I am the way. Now, Jesus then talks about this specific doorway in terms of the sheep. And he, he uses two pictures of the sheepfold that I just kind of want to bring us up to speed because uh, raise your hand if you've ever seen a, a sheep uh, in real life. Okay, some of you, some of us have not. Some of you have seen, you know, we've all seen them in pictures and, you know, that sort of thing. This would have been a very common experience. This would have been part of life. And the first kind of sheepfold or sheep pen would have been in the city or a community sheepfold, okay? And I think we have a picture of kind of a whole bunch of different sheep in, in one. And it wouldn't have had all these dividers in there, but you get the idea. It's not just one flock, it's a whole bunch of different shepherds who are coming in from the fields and the grazing. Maybe they're getting a good night's sleep or they're getting supplies or whatever it is, changing shifts. And they're bringing their, their flock in and it's intermingling with all of the other flocks. So Jesus is explaining this very con common phenomenon. He dropped him off. He has his claim ticket. He comes back to the gatekeeper. He gives him his claim ticket for his flock. And then what does a shepherd do? He goes in and he starts calling his sheep by name. Because he knows his sheep. And he might have, you know, little sing-songy names for him or a little thing that he does. Whatever it is. And the shepherd kind of begins to lead his sheep out. And his sheep follow him because they know that that's their shepherd. The other sheep don't follow him because they know that's not their shepherd. And so Jesus is painting this picture of how a shepherd would call his flock out of one of these community pens because he knows his sheep. The other kind of sheepfold would be out in the country, um, where they're going out and they're grazing kind of out in the wilderness. It's typically just the shepherd and the sheep. Um, and you see it's something like this. But a shepherd could have fashioned this just out of briar and thorns and kind of made one kind of haphazardly as needed. Uh, you see these in all sorts of different cultures around the world. This is a sheepfold. In fact, somebody went over to the Middle East to kind of investigate the practices of shepherding. Um, and they were talking, they were interviewing this shepherd and they saw something like this. And they said, I get that's where you put the sheep but where's the door? And the shepherd points at himself and says, I'm the door. And he's not a Christian. He's just, he's just saying what shepherds would say. I'm the door. When the sheep go in, that's where I sleep. And no sheep can come out unless they come over the shepherd and no predator can come in unless they go through the shepherd. And Jesus is painting this picture of saying that he is the door for the sheep. He guards us. He tends us. He keeps us. He leads us. There are all these beautiful pictures of, of the, the loving kindness of the good shepherd being poured out in, in this picture of shepherding. And of course, before we go on from this statement that Jesus makes saying, I am the door, it's important to understand that Jesus again, and I don't want us to miss this, is making a clear claim of exclusivity. 
It's popular in our culture, and I understand this, to say everyone has an angle on the truth, to say there are multiple ways that one can be connected with God. There's multiple ways that one can define God. In, in fact, we all come with our own opinion and our own theory and our kind of, you know, all of this, it's just, it really doesn't matter. But Jesus, if we're gonna take him at his word and we're gonna see what he teaches and what scripture teaches, makes very clear over and over and over again, he is the door. The only way, in fact, he's comparing himself with other leaders of God's people. And he's saying, the way that they're teaching you is not right. They're robbers and thieves. There's this high level of, of, of focus on the law and kind of checking all the boxes. And he's saying, that's not how this works. And he's coming and he's, he's going to say, I lay down my life for the sheep. And he, he talks about his way of grace. But it's important for us in our context to understand that Jesus says he is the way to the father. In fact, later on, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And sometimes we look at that and say, how, how can that be? But I would, I would encourage us to look instead and say, there is a way. There is a true way that is not a dead end. And Jesus says, I am the door where there used to be a wall, where there used to be no access, where, you, where we used to be cut off because of our sin. Jesus Christ has made a way. He is the door. Unlike that little three-foot door that I finally got open. You know what was behind there? Nothing. It was underneath a stairway and it was just like a bunch of construction junk and they didn't know what to do with it. And so they sealed it up in there. As many of the doors and the ways that we imagine there are, Jesus says, it's all lies. They're all robbers. These other spiritual paths, these other spiritual leaders, they are leading you wrong. And I just want to encourage you to examine the claims of Jesus because he's not doing it to, to, to put other people down. He's not doing it in, in kind of this uh, arrogant or, or, or you know, mean sort of way. He's doing it in a compassionate. This is the way of salvation. This is the way to the other side. This is the door. I am the door. Jesus says, I am the door. Then he says, I am the good shepherd. Let's pick it up in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And we're going to look at some of the, the nature of his shepherding in just a moment. But again, 
we are looking from a modern perspective. We're trying to figure out the basics of what Jesus is saying in this ancient context. But the ancient hearers would have immediately begun to hear his words in a messianic way. Because the good shepherd is something that is promised. This idea of shepherding, the promised shepherd, is something that's promised about the Messiah in the Old Testament. And so again, Jesus is having this kind of contentious tug of war with the religious leaders of the time and they're rejecting him, they're persecuting him, they're trying to kill him, right? That's, John is playing that out. And so uh, this idea of shepherding, I'm just gonna read a little bit from Ezekiel 34, just a few of the verses. We won't spend much time there, but I'd encourage you, if you're one of those people who likes to dig in during the week, doing an Old Testament word study on shepherd uh, would be worth your time to understand how does the Bible talk about this. And one of the main images is that the spiritual leaders of God's people were called shepherds. And then he, he would send prophets and he would uh, either commend or rebuke the way that the spiritual leaders were leading his people. And then there's this promise. Let's take a look in Ezekiel 34. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Verse 11, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Verse 23, and this is the key. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant, David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. End of the chapter, verse 31. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture. And I am your God, declares the Lord God Almighty. So when Ezekiel is prophesying about David being the shepherd, David has already lived and died, right? So it's not David himself. It's talking about the Davidic line, the promised heir the one who will sit on the throne of David, right? The, the Messiah is going to be this shepherd, the one shepherd, the good shepherd. And Jesus, when he's saying this, of course, we'll see at the end, it creates division because again, he is over and over saying, I am the Messiah, I am God, I am here. And it just, it's, it's causing people to struggle with these claims. Verse 14, I wanna draw out one other, a couple of other things says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. There is a mutual relationship. There is a mutual impersonal relationship that defines being part of the flock of Jesus Christ. So this is not one way. It is not just Jesus knowing you. And it's not just you knowing Jesus. It is a real relationship. And sometimes when we, in church, we, we use a phrase like having a personal relationship, right? And it just becomes kind of a, a buzzword or something that you've heard a lot. But this is what it's talking about is that he says, I know my own and my own know me. And I just want to pause and say what that doesn't mean is that in the same way that we know a celebrity, we know Jesus, Right? Well, I know about Jesus. I've heard of him. Yeah, he's a great guy. I have this fond feeling towards him in a general way. It doesn't mean that we have some sort of, you know, mental belief. Just because our parents had a relationship with Jesus doesn't mean that we automatically have one. 
It doesn't mean that just by having a kind of a mental idea that we believe in God, that we believe that Jesus was a real person, that Jesus died, just kind of in a mental way. It's a personal and mutual relationship. And it goes back to this idea of he's calling us by name and we're following him and he tends for and cares for us. This is not a detached way of living. This is a mutual and personal relationship. And if you have questions about that, or if that's kind of a new concept, don't leave here today without asking somebody. Come up and ask for prayer afterwards. Because Jesus is not just something that we believe in or a celebrity that we like. We have a real relationship, a mutual and real relationship with him as our shepherd. And then finally, verse 16. Jesus makes a statement that if you're reading along, maybe if you've never heard this, it just strikes you and you go, what in the world is he talking about? Verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus here is talking about you and I because almost all of us here are Gentiles. We are not part of, the, of ethnic Israel. We are not the Jewish people that Jesus is talking to and ministering to here. He is saying, and he's painting this picture that the mission of God goes beyond just the, the, the nation of Israel at this point, because that was the concept that, that God's people had at that point. It's going to go. We already saw this in chapter four. Jesus goes to the Samaritans who are not part of ethnic Israel, right? And, he, and he's painting this picture, I'm going to go. You and I, now there might be like, you know, just a couple of us here who are born Jewish or whatever. Obviously, I'm not, I'm not speaking about you, but, but all of the rest of us, we we're born not from Jewish heritage. We are Gentiles. And the fact that we're part of the family of God is because of this truth that Jesus is teaching here. I have other sheep. And so he's painting this picture. I called my, I'm going to call my sheep uh, out of this sheepfold. And then I'm going to go to other sheepfolds and I'm going to call my sheep out of those sheepfolds. And we're going to be one flock with one shepherd. This is the mission of God. And it's important to understand that even here, Jesus is painting this picture that it doesn't all just end with us. Because it's easy for us when we start thinking about the good shepherding of Jesus and the great love that God has for us, it can just all just become just like a warm, fuzzy, you know, spiritual sun tanning moment where we're just soaking it all up, right? But Jesus, even here, when he talks about his goodness and his love, he's saying, I'm on mission. And the implication is that if we're to follow Jesus, that you and I are on mission too. We can't escape that fact. And just think about this. This is still what Jesus is doing. He has sheep who will respond to his voice in your extended family. He has sheep among your friendship group who have yet to respond to his voice. He has sheep in your neighborhood he has sheep here in, in the Milwaukee metro area that have not yet heard his voice. And you and I get to participate in the mission of God and help others find and follow Jesus. That is not just all about me, right? It's this individual, beautiful, uh, extravagant care and shepherding of Jesus. But he's on mission. And if we are following him and we're following what the shepherd is doing, then you and I will be on mission too. Jesus says, I am the door. 
I am the good shepherd. And then finally he says, the shepherd lays down his life. Look at verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Verse 19, there was again a division among the Jews because of his words, right? This is the, John keeps drawing our attention to this. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? People don't know what to do with Jesus and not much has changed, right? <laughs> either either we, we're gonna say it's crazy, it's, it's crazy to follow Jesus or we understand that he is the door, he is the good shepherd. And then he starts to paint this, this personal picture of his laying down of his life. You know, there's lots of ways that we can look at and focus on the resurrection, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. You know, sometimes we look at the historical truth. It, it really happened, right? Um, it, you know, here's the outside of the biblical accounts, you know, kind of other accounts that talk about Jesus and when he was on, on earth and in the, in the account of the resurrection. Sometimes we just focus on the fact that it's true. And like on Easter, we'll do that. We'll walk through, here, here are the ways that we, we can know that the resurrection really happened when you look at the accounts and you look at the situation. Here's how we can have confidence in the truth, the veracity of the resurrection. Sometimes we look at the, um, the spiritual economics of it, Right? You and I had a debt of sin. Jesus, without sin, paid the penalty for our sin. Sometimes we look at the theological ramifications of it, right? He is conquering death. He's conquering sin. He's making a way. He's making us right with God. Sometimes even we look at the medical aspects of the crucifixion. This is the way that he suffered and was tortured in this arduous death and then died. But when Jesus is talking here, he's drawing our attention to one specific aspect of his death and resurrection and that it's personal. It's personal and it's an act of love. It's not economic, it's not theological here. It's personal. Jesus is saying, I love my sheep. He's saying, I love you and I'm laying down my life for you. He's drawing our attention to the personal aspect of his sacrificial love. We see this in other situations when, when friends go off to war and become brothers and you hear the account of, of someone rescuing their fellow soldier, laying down their life, falling on a grenade, whatever it is, they're, they're sacrificing their life out of love in a personal way. And of course, the most often, you know, the easiest picture to picture is a mother or a father, right? Sacrificing, laying down their life for their child. Just this year in April, Josh Graham, a father of, of two, was at the beach about 50 miles south of Houston. And his two sons, 13 and 10, were swept up in a riptide. And they were pulled out. And Josh saw this and he fought the waves and he swam out after them. And in the rescue, his sons were saved and he drowned. And I promise you, that if you could rewind time and Josh could make that decision and say, I know I go out, I'm going to save my sons, but I will perish. He's going to make that decision every single time. Why? Because he loves his sons. This is personal for me. I have a 12 year old and a 10 year old and I can picture this. 
we, 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 we think of this personal sacrifice motivated from this deep and personal love that Jesus has for us. It's not medical, it's not economic, it's not theological, it's personal. The shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus laid down his life for you, personally. Because he loves you. God's ridiculous love, (laughs) extravagant love, over-the-top love for you is displayed in the cross. He cares for you at an individual level. (laughs) You know, just like Becky was cutting the grass, just, you know, (laughs) but even more so, even more precise, even more intimate, even more tending for you. And that's what the picture that Jesus is painting here in this passage. As we close, I want to do something that we don't normally do, but I'd like to do it today. And we're going to read Psalm 23 together. I'm just going to lead us in a corporate reading. And so I'm going to ask that that you stand up. The words will be on the screen. If you're joining us via broadcast or wherever you are, just I'd encourage you to stand up and just kind of say it out loud wherever you are. Join with me. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, you are our shepherd. Lord, take away our desire for another shepherd. Take away our desire for the wrong door, for the false God, for the, for the robber, the thief. Lord, lead us in your path, in your way. Lead us towards your life, this abundant life that you promise. Lord, I pray for those who are here today, who are your sheep, who are hearing your voice and they're responding for the first time, that they would run to you, that they would follow you. And I pray, Lord, if we've been wandering where we are drifting away and we've been distant from your voice, that we would hear your voice and draw closer to you in this season. God, we thank you for your love. We don't fully understand it, but we wanna live in it and we wanna be on mission with you. Pour your love into our life and through our lives that you might be glorified. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.